Welcome to the Cato Institute. My name is Walter Olson. My Welcome. name is Walter Olson. Well, only older ones will get that reference. The, um, welcome to you watching online at Cato.org. Um, and uh, we're going to be hearing today from our guest, Lenora Skenazy, who is uh, the founder of the Free Range Kids blog, the author of the Free Range Kids book, and really the spark plug of the Free Range Kids movement. Uh, responsible for such events as take our children to the park and leave them there. Damn. <clears throat> uh, she, spent, there. <laughs> she spent four, 14 years as a staff reporter with the New York Daily News. Uh, she has reported for uh, media outfits ranging from uh, NPR to Mad Magazine, if that is much of a range. Uh, and she has spoken Everywhere from Microsoft to the Sydney Opera House, uh, she has been a guest on shows from Dr. Phil uh, to The View. Uh, and she has more or less single-handedly founded uh, what we call the anti-helicopter parenting movement. Uh, before I uh, introduce her, uh, a word about format. We're going to be uh, hearing from our author. Uh, I will be uh, making brief remarks afterward myself. Uh, and then we will go to you for questions and answers. Uh, please have some good ones. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to agree. Some. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to agree with her too much, so be prepared to have some uh, critical, skeptical questions. Uh, then we will be breaking for lunch. When we break for lunch, we will be going upstairs. Um, uh, stop long enough to buy her book and have her sign it, after which you can continue to the circular staircase uh, up the stairs, uh, and lunch will be waiting up there. Uh, please join me in welcoming uh, Lenora Skenazy. Uh, thank you, Walter. Thank you, Cato. And thank you, Judy. Julie. See, I knew this was going to happen. First of all, her name is Julie. But secondly, let me just tell you that I'm so nervous to be at Cato that my dream last night in Julie's house, that's why I'm thanking Julie for putting me up, Julie Gunlock, who wrote From Cupcakes to Chemicals, which is another great book. Um, another great book, like mine is a great book. Um, uh, dreaming at her house, I woke up and I realized I had dreamt that I was just about to go on stage at a giant meeting and I um, was so hungry I ate peanut butter. Just a giant spoonful of peanut butter and then I had to go and give my speech. So I'm a little nervous today, but I didn't have peanut butter, um, which is great. Um, so you may have heard of me because I'm also literally America's worst mom. Um, and when I say literally, I mean, if you Google that, you find me there for, not that I Google myself obsessively, but if you do, say somebody else Googled me and happened to tell me um, how many times I was there. I'm there for 77 pages, <laughs> okay? <clears throat> Followed by America's Worst Mother's Day Gift, which, um, there's some guys in the audience coming up, is, uh, let's see, a McDonald's gift certificate, although you could give one to me, and probably to Julie, because she, she likes chemicals. Um, and lingerie, that's for uh, Father's Day. And the collected um, works of the Three Stooges, which we have at our house. Anyways, let me cough, because even though it's not peanut butter, there's something there. <coughs> so America's worst mom or not, I'm a mom, which means that what do we do? I spend a lot of time talking to other moms. And a couple of years back, huh, a couple, it was many years back at this point, but I was talking to my downstairs neighbor. I lived in Manhattan at the time in you know, a tall building. And, um, my neighbor was looking at me with such consternation, and she was saying, Lenore, can you believe she did that? And I'm like, did what? What are we talking about, Melissa? What are you talking about? And well, it turned out that Melissa had been at Costco shopping with her own two little daughters who were um, like five and two at the time. 
And they were waiting in line to check out. And the lady behind her tapped her on the shoulder and said, excuse me, would you mind watching my little baby son for a minute? I, I have to go get enough tuna for Armageddon um, or whatever. Um, you know, it's like, OK. She'd forgotten the tuna, as do we all. And so Melissa said, sure, I'll do that. And the lady went. And that's when Melissa turned to me and said, can you believe she did that? And I'm like, you know, we all forget things at Costco. It's all in brown boxes. It's not like a nice, normal store. And she's like, no, Lenore. I could have taken her baby, and she would never have seen him again. Whoa. I'm like, Melissa, that's what you were so mad about? And she's like, yes. And she was so angry. I said, OK, let me just walk through this with you for a minute. And, and I literally have to walk because I pace all the time. But anyway, so, so, so um, for you to um, steal her baby uh, would require a couple things. First of all, uh, you would have to be a Kidnapper, <laughs> right? Um, uh, one of the few with two small children of your own <laughs> at home already, but but maybe one of the boy. Okay, okay, grant that. So um, <clears throat> you would have been pursuing this goal using the rather slow yield method of <laughs> waiting for somebody to give you one in public. <laughs> but it's your lucky day. Okay, so so now let's see. You have to grab the child out of the cart, and then you have your own two children and your own cart. And you have to start going by everyone, excuse me, excuse me, we're going, I have to leave, I got this thing, I can't believe it, it's my lucky day. Um, and then your children are going like, wait a minute, mom, what about all those goldfish crackers? We were going to get a mountain of goldfish crackers, what are we going to do with that? And then the, the little baby is saying, like, not the little baby, your little kid is going, this, I'm the baby. I'm the baby in this family, what are you doing? <coughs> leaving, you know, leaving our cart, leaving our food. And it's like, shut up, I gotta get you out of here. And so, so you're taking the baby and the other baby and the one who's mad and the one who wants the goldfish crackers and you're going by, excuse me, excuse me. You get to the, the door and I know maybe DC is a nicer place, but in New York when you get to the door, there's what? There's a lady who's checking to see, did you steal anything? It's like, yes, we stole that lady's baby. And it's like, and I'm the baby. It's like, shut up. OK, you go back, no, nothing. We're not taking anything that um, has a price tag. OK, so <clears throat> out you go. And then you're facing this vast parking lot. And you're a little nervous, because it's your first felony. And so <clears throat> you're thinking, what am I going to do? I go, beep, 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 beep. There's the car. Hooray. OK, so you go to the car. You open up that gigantic door, right? And then you, you put your, your five-year-old gets in the seat belt. And then the two-year-old you're putting in the, in the car seat. And then you don't have a car seat for the baby, right? The one, that, that's against the law. <laughs> so, so then you have to make a car seat out of like a, a, I don't know, a lunchbox or a laundry basket or something. And then like, well, how old is he? Because should you be putting forward? You know, you don't really know. And is he shooting backwards? And there's the new laws. And in California, it's different. And then what are you going to give them to eat? And it's like one wants a snack and one wants a sippy cup. And do we watch Dora? Or now we have a boy. Should we watch SpongeBob? You know, you just don't know what to do. And finally, you get everybody satisfied, or at least wailing. And then you get in, <coughs> and you. Put on your car, you know, your, your seat belt, you adjust your mirror, put on Disney radio, and then you gun it across state lines, <laughs> never to come home again with three children under the age of five, and that's considered a real danger. Okay, that, that's my question for us today. Who's crazy? Who's crazy? The woman who thinks that that she was that this lady was wrong? To, to let anybody trust her child in public? Or I think I flipped that around. But who's crazy? Melissa's crazy. <laughs> Long and short of it, Melissa is crazy to think that that was a real danger and that the woman was being irresponsible, bordering on negligent, which is where the law comes in. And, <clears throat> and now I'm realizing I don't have any water.
Anybody has any water? Oh, I do have water. Poison water. <laughs> no, it's OK. Um, or should we start realizing that maybe our children are not in constant danger? Mm. I thought that, oh, I do have my own bottle. <laughs> now Walter has none. <clears throat> and a spoonful of peanut butter for him. Um, so, so I wrote a column about that because it struck me as such a strange moment in American sociology, right? The fact that we think that a child would be in danger with another mother in public for a good two minutes. And I thought this was going to set the world on fire. I put it in the Daily News. And I got three emails. And two of them said, like, you sound like somebody you know, who might be America's worst mom someday. No, they didn't say that, but they didn't agree with me. And then I always have this one elderly admirer on Staten Island um, who would write to me uh, for every column. And he wrote, um, you're not crazy, but I'm crazy for Skenazy, which I appreciated. But still, it did not set the world on fire. So I go on living my life. I actually got fired from the Daily News. <laughs> Don't ever buy the Daily News. Um, and uh, I ended up in the New York Sun. and. When I was there, uh, I have two sons, one who never gets mentioned, who didn't ask to ride the subway. So I'll mention him now. His name is Maury. Um, and then the son, who I only talk about, and Maury resents the hell out of it, um, who did one day come up to my husband and me and say, could you take me someplace I've never been and let me find my own way home on the subway? Yeah, like this. I'm looking like that. That's what we did. We looked at him, too. It's like, huh? But that's what he wanted to do. And he was persistent enough that we started talking about it, my husband, who was never referred to as America's worst dad, and I. <clears throat> and we thought, well, let's think. He wants to do this. We're on the subway all the time, right? We, we see that it's crowded, which I think makes it safe. Um, he knows how to read a map. He speaks the language. Uh, not that everybody does, but he does. And, um, and he's ready to do it. So OK, let's let him. So one sunny Sunday, I took him to Bloomingdale's, which was a place we had never been before. Shows where I shop. Um, and, uh, and I left him in the handbag department. I told him what was going on first. Um, and, but the handbag department seemed like a funny place. Like, oh, I forgot. I was so interested in my Birkin bag. Um, and, uh, but actually, if you leave somebody in the handbag department um, and they're sentient being, uh, they can open the door. And there's the subway. It's right there outside. So I went the other way, and he went down into the bowels of New York. Um, and he went to one of those scary things that you're never supposed to talk to, a uh, stranger. <laughs> That's right, a man, even. Um, and he said, is this the way downtown? And the guy said, oh, perfect for Melissa. A little old, but no. No, <laughs> no. the guy said, no, you got to go up and over and down. And, um, and that's what Izzy did. And so he took the subway down, I don't know, like four stops or something, to 34th Street. Miracle on 34th Street, he emerged unscathed. Um, and then he had to take a bus home. And when he got home, he was just so happy. You know, He felt ready for this thing. And he'd done it. He felt like a grown up. And I gave him some cigarettes. No. Um, <laughs> he felt really good. Um, but me with this keen nose for news, um, honed from you know 14 years of the Daily News, which fired me, tuh, um, uh, I didn't think of writing a column immediately because I hadn't done this as some grand experiment. It didn't strike me as that newsworthy. It was just a thing in our family. Boy, has it become a thing in our family. But anyways, um, so about a month and a half later, uh, I was staring at the computer screen with nothing to write about. And I said to my editor, I said, maybe should I write about Izzy taking the subway at 9? You know, I talked to some of the other fourth grade moms, and they said that they would wait a little longer till like their kid was like 28, 29. Um, and she said, sure, why don't you write about it? Sounds like a nice local story. Local. 
Okay, so that, am I like in the wrong place here? Can I just keep pacing in front of Walter here? You keep pacing. Okay, so that night the phone rings. And, and I get on this guy, and I don't know who will recognize this name here, but if you do, be embarrassed. It was, um, it was Joey Boots. Anyone know who Joey Boots is? Of course not a Cato. It's Howard Stern's guy. He's on all the, oh, somebody's, oh, now you're admitting it. Okay, okay, fine. So it's Howard Stern's guy. He's like, what are you calling me for? Howard Stern? <laughs> you know? It's like, you know, when I dance around a pole, it's the 1st of May, <laughs> right? And has he seen me? You know, I don't know. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm straight, I'm married, I'm so boring, I haven't gotten high. What are you calling me for? Um, <laughs> And he said, well, that story you wrote about uh, your kid, that sounded like something Howard would be interested in. I'm like, Howard's interested in me? Okay. And I hung up. <laughs> and, then, and then the phone rang again. And this was the Today Show. I'm like, oh, you know, Howard. No, Howard. Great. And I'm thinking, like, you know, what is the nexus between these two news outlets? Um, I felt Kardashian, <laughs> right? It's like, who would possibly be of interest to both of them? Or, or you know, it's just... An odd feeling. But in the end, um, Howard spurned me. Maybe that's for the best. I never ended up on Howard's show. But two days after I had written this Subway column, I ended up on um, the Today Show, MSNBC, Fox News, and for contrast, NPR. I don't know why I'm pointing to Walter or NPR. Um, but I found myself on all those shows um, trying to defend the fact that I had believed in my son. What a cardinal sin. Um, and the apotheosis of this was um, one guy who'd called up the, the NPR show. He sounded like an elderly man. And he wanted to know why that woman, me, like, like Clinton, that woman, um, why had that woman wanted to give her son uh, one day of possible fun and adventure that could easily end up with him um, oh, sodomized, uh, burned, thrown on the tracks, decapitated, murdered, um, <clears throat> when she could have chosen to give him a long and happy life. And I'm like, well, sir, uh, you know, six of one, half a dozen of another. And, you know, I have a column to write. And did I mention, I have a spare son at home. Uh, so, so the fact that anybody would be thinking of me this way um, made me run and start my blog, the Free Range Kids blog, that weekend. Because I wanted to explain that, like, I'm not... I'm nervous. This isn't fake nervous. This is nervous. I'm a nervous mom. I believe in helmets and car seats and seat belts. And um, if you ever invite me to a baby shower, I always bring the same gift. It is a fire extinguisher, <laughs> which is a great idea. Don't steal it. Um, so, so the idea that I would be like uh, considered evil Knievel of moms was so bizarre to me that I wanted to explain that. All I, all I believe in is that I don't think children need a security detail every time they leave the home. Well, until that moment, and people started to write to me, I hadn't realized what kind of moment we were in, in America, in terms of fear for our children. And, and um, so that's how I found out, because I was living in Manhattan, that around the country, parents were now driving their children to the school bus stop. Did you know that? I mean, maybe it's happening here. OK, I didn't know that at the time. And then they wait to make sure the transfer is successful, <laughs> you know, from the SUV to the bus. Oh, phew. And then they could drive home. And then there are places around the country where the school bus doesn't even stop at the school bus stop anymore. It goes to each individual house. The kids are like vomiting by, by the time they get there. We had 50 stops. Um, and, um, and, and then there are, um, there are parents who will drive their child, because now the kid is being picked up in front of the house, 
from the garage to the sidewalk. Because, you know, anything can happen. That's our favorite phrase. Anything could happen. It's like, yeah, they could lose a calorie. <laughs> you know, oh my god, he lost a calorie. He'll never get it back. So, um, so I didn't know how strange this was. And then that's just, that's just to get the kid to school. And by the way, what did we used to call the beginning of school? It was arrival, right? And what was the end of school? It was dismissal. And what is it now? It's drop off and pick up, because the kids have become FedEx packages. <laughs> you know, you have to get them there, and you have to pick them up, and you'll get them there on time, and you're going to do it right, and you get low wages, but you're going to do it. So, so after school, here's what starts happening. About half an hour before school lets out, the line of cars starts going down the block and around the corner and down the block and around Walter until finally, here you are, and they're all waiting. They're waiting for the big moment when ding, 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 finally. OK, it's not dismissal time. It's pickup time. OK, so they have to organize all the kids from the school. So there's the bus kids, the kids nobody cares about. Those, those kids go over here. And then the rest of the children, the beloved ones, um, get gathered in the auditorium or the gym or the cafeteria. And then they're huddled masses, yearning to be free. They're not allowed out. But then the first car comes up, and somebody outside with a walkie-talkie, this happens, this happens across the country, comes up, and, and the car drives up, and there's a nameplate on the dashboard, and it says Ava. And so the lady up there, I always think she's the gym teacher, goes, OK, Ava's mom is here. Ava's mom is here. And they go, OK, Ava's mom is here. Ava H or Ava P? Ava H, Ava P. OK, Ava P, your mom is here. OK, and then they grab the kid, and they bring her, and they go up the stairs, and they go outside, and they open the door, and they shove her in like Obama. You know, <laughs> OK, there you go. OK, now who's coming up? OK, it's Oliver. Oliver, your mom is here. Oh, Eli, Eli, your mom is here. Timmy, Timmy, your mom is here. And they're just coming up, and they're getting in. And I, all I can imagine is like, you know, guns gunning, and snipers sniping, and bombs exploding, and helicopters whirring. And it's like, it's like the fall of Saigon. Go, go, for God's sake, go while you can. Get out! You know? And that's happening every day after school across America in the suburbs that parents moved to. Why? Why? Why did they move there? To raise their kids in some nice, safe place. So to which I always say, gee, why don't you just raise them in a slum? Because you could save a lot on rent, and you're going to be taking them anywhere, everywhere anyhow. So, so when I realized that was going on, I have to take a sip here. Did you take yours back? <laughs> Did you yours. lick mine? I took, <laughs> right, I right. took an unused one for safety's sake. Mm. Boy, so much goes on behind my back. So that's when I realized something strange was going on in America. Um, but it's not just all about safety. People were writing to my site with other new I mean, it is all about safety, but it's not all about just school. People will write into my site telling me that, um, like in Girl Scouts, you're still allowed to toast a marshmallow, but you have to have one knee on the ground. Why? So you don't immolate all the children. Oh, I'm in St. Joan of Arc troop. How about you? You know, it's like, it's like kids couldn't possibly do this thing safely anymore. I talked to one mom. Her son was in Cub Scouts. And the leader came, and he was demonstrating how you whittle, you know, which I think we you remember whittling at this point. Um, so you will. Um, so so uh, when he was done with the demonstration, which, you know, you use a knife and a piece of wood, or at least traditionally, um, maybe now you use a video, um, he, 
He gave each and every child what? A knife? Are you kidding? <laughs> no, that wouldn't illustrate my point. No. <laughs> he gave each individual child a potato peeler. Okay, now can you imagine our proud Native American forebears? I've been working on this totem pole for like seven years. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like a popsicle stick. You need a knife to whittle. I actually think it's safer to use a knife to whittle than this potato peeler, because first of all, you're not so frustrated you killed a Cub Scout leader, but also you can get somewhere. So, but because we middle-aged people um, have a tendency to always look back and say, ah, today's crazy. In my day, everything was much better. Um, I had to find a smoking gun that proved it wasn't just my imagination um, that things had changed dramatically in a generation or a generation and a half. And I did. I found it. Um, if you get the DVD collections, two DVDs, called Sesame Street Old School, you will see all sorts of wonderful old stuff from 69 to 74, which is the first five years um, it was on TV. And so you see kids playing Follow the Leader, and the leader, believe it or not, does not have a PhD in leadership studies. <laughs> it's, it's another five-year-old. Um, you see them playing in a vacant lot. And um, they balance like this. I'm sure I'm out of the light. They balance on something like this. So can you imagine? Ah! Now I'm going to sue Cato. Yay! Koch brothers. Yay! Um, no. So they show kids on the playground. Uh, not playground. It's not a playground. It's not even soft and squishy on the ground. Um, they go through one of those giant pipes. Um, straight shot, there's no like homeless guy in the middle. They go shimmying through the pipe and they come out on the other end. The kids are frolicking, okay? It's as simple as that. But before you see any of that, at the very beginning of the DVD, a warning appears on the screen and it says, <clears throat> the following is intended for adult viewing only and may not be suitable for younger viewers. Like it's porn, okay? Sesame Street qua porn. I mean, it's just amazing to me because these were not like silly Super 8 videos that somebody just decided to throw on air. These were, this was supposed to model a halcyon childhood. And Joan Gans Cooney and the rest of the gang of the psychologists and psychiatrists and social workers and teachers endorsed this as a healthy childhood. And now it's too dangerous to even show children. And if you ask me afterwards, I have like another million examples of the way Sesame Street itself has changed. But to me, that proved that something had gone very wrong with our society to the point where, and these are my little Cato points I wanted to point out, to the point where, how did we get to this point where, A, now good Samaritans call 911 when they see what? A child outside. <laughs> a child walking, a child playing, a child on their way to get pizza, a child at the playground. Okay, they call 911, and worse, the cops come. Okay? How do we get to that point? How do we get to the point where a daycare center has been around since 1981, it's rural, it's in New Jersey, I, I know that sounds contradictory, but um, uh, the woman who run that, ran that daycare called me because the inspectors had come and they told her that she had to chop off all the branches on the trees up to um, seven feet high because now they were no longer considered branches, they were overgrown vegetation. Okay, how do we get to the point where these are the rules for a science fair in Colorado? For your safety, products may not, may not contain any of the following. No organisms, living or dead. No microbial cultures, fungi, molds, bacteria, parasites. No chemicals, no flammable substances, and no plants in soil. <laughs> okay, That's, those are the real rules at the science fair, I think, in Boulder, Colorado. So nothing is safe enough, although children are concerned, and I wanted to find out how come. How come we've gotten to this point? So I'm a reporter, or I was, um, 
you know, to. Uh, uh, <laughs> and so I did my research and I came up with what I think are the four reasons that we are so much more afraid than our parents. And the first reason is what do we always have to blame? I'm not kicking you, I'm just being a knee jerk person. We blame the media. Thank you. Yes. We blame the media because the media are to blame. The media are crazy. The media love the story of a kidnapped kid, preferably white and middle class, more than any other story in the world. And that's why we've heard, we all know the names, you know, Kaylee and Maddie and Haley, and never name your child with two E's at the end, um, and, and Maddie, okay? Who knows the story of Maddie McCann? Maddie McCann, four-year-old kid taken from her hotel room in Portugal. Does this ring a bell? Okay, so I pop quiz. Can you tell me anything else that has happened in Portugal in the last 500 years? <laughs> anything. I mean, I don't, do they have a king? You know? Oh, you, I know you're a Cato person. You don't count. Forget it. Right? You guys know everything. No. The point is that that story was so valuable, it's the only one we went and got from there. It's like when Columbus came over here looking for saffron, something so, so tiny and golden and perfect and small, that it was, but it was valuable beyond belief. That's what the story of a kidnapping is to the television news, up to the point where ABC actually hired Elizabeth Smart to be their kidnapping correspondent. You know, news, weather, sports, kidnapping. There's that. It's like that's why we live in this world where we think kids are being kidnapped constantly because that story is constantly on on the paper in the in the media. And then the the drama shows just chew it up and spit it back at us. So um, one day, a friend called and said, "Have you did you watch Law and Order last night?" I was like, "Which Law and Order? Uh, Law and Order, Law and Order, Law and Order, or Law and Order? That one, uh, Law and Order. Okay, no, I didn't. What was on?" He said, "Go watch it." So I watched on Hulu and. And there was the story of, guess what? It was a nine-year-old boy who wanted to take the subway by himself, OK? And so the mother's like, here, I'll be the mother. You be the boy. Oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I just mit I don't hear. And, and she knits him some mittens, OK? Can we guess what's going to happen to the mittens? OK, so she knits him the mittens. Um, Walter Mittens, <laughs> like Walter Mitty. Um, and then, <laughs> and off she sends him. And uh, amazingly, he actually gets to school just fine. Does he get home? No, no, I'm sorry. He's, <laughs> sorry, he's gone. He's gone for good. Sorry, Walt. Right, just like that. And, and what do we see on the ground? What a mitten, of course, because like all the empty swings were unavailable. <laughs> so um, so I, thought, I thought it sounded familiar, and then I, um, then I did a little research, and I, this is, you're the first people who are actually seeing this because my husband said, why don't you ever just get a photo to show them? So I got a photo to show you. Okay, this was the kid on the Law and Order episode. Can you see that? Maybe there's a coincidence. That's my son. <laughs> okay. Oh, ripped from the headlines, except that he died because on TV, they show, yes, look at that. That's the perfect, get the cameras. She has her mouth agape. <laughs> right? I know, I couldn't believe it. Even, my, even the older son who doesn't want to think about this all the time said, whoa. So, um, so that's the story. So the, so the stories get repeated and repeated. And if it's the anniversary, it's 37 and a half years since Aton Pates. They will throw this on the TV because you're never supposed to think that a child going outside is safe from kidnapping. So the media are to blame. Two, we live in a litigious and regulated society, uh, two sides of the same coin. A couple of years ago, reading an article that right before Christmas, Little Tykes had recalled its um, workbench, you know, those, those plastic workbenchy things. Um, and because a child had almost choked on one of the nails. And I thought, that is really weird that they're putting real nails 
in the, in the Little Tykes uh, workbench. And then I read a little further. It's like, no, it was indeed a plastic nail. It was a plastic nail uh, that was three and a quarter inches by one and a quarter inches, which is the size of everything, <laughs> you know? Sorry. Um, no, it's the size of, let's see, a, a, a mini banana. It's the size of a salt shaker. It is the size of, in my house, it's a ho-ho. Um, you know, so why was that considered too dangerous? Uh, to me, if, it, if you've sold something, and they had sold these since 1995, and they'd sold 1.5 million of these sets. So if you've sold something for over 15 years, and nobody has died using it, to me, that's a safe toy. But to the government, that was a dangerous toy, and it had to be recalled immediately, and do not sell it, and do not use it, and burn it, and breathe in the fumes, whatever we care, just somehow get rid of it. So that became something that I became aware of, too. It's like, what are we recalling? What are we saying is not safe enough? And I wish I was less cheap and had gone out and bought this thing for you to show you. It's like, last week, a, a children's shoe was recalled, a running shoe, and, and the, if you read why, and it said, um, there was one report from adult who had either bruised or scraped his finger on the grommet, on the grommet. So there are 70,000 shoes off the bat, recalled. So nothing is safe enough. When you look through the lens of risk, which is how we've started looking at society and especially childhood, everything's dangerous. That's why you can't find a teeter-totter and a seesaw, which is good because I was always at the top of the seesaw and I could never come down and I hated, hated, hated them. And so off message, yay, no more seesaws. But on message, how dare they take away our seesaws? Um, seesaws are gone. merry guns are wrong. Um, everybody is either afraid of, um, of somebody hurting themselves or afraid of being sued. And the two go together. And then the regulators come in and say, you shouldn't have that anyway. And so between the regulators and the insurance industry, nothing is safe enough in childhood. Three, reason number three. I'm skipping the amazing mom in Texas story. Ask me about it later. Uh, three, we live in an expert culture, OK? Um, experts are telling us what to do from the moment you get the little test back and it says, congratulations, you're having a liability. Oh, what will we call him? Um, so ever heard of the book, What to uh, Expect? Right. To, no, that's expectorate. What to Expect. What to Expect has 29 pages on what to eat. When you're pregnant, which if you ask me, I could tell you in one word, it's more. <laughs> How about that? That'll work. Um, but no, 29 pages, and it goes on and on about all the things that you're supposed to do, um, including think about each forkful, OK? Each single forkful. Not every day try to eat a little more spinach, spinach and uh, quinoa, I guess. Spinach and quinoa, ideally. Um, and a little less Kahlua cream pie. No, every bite. So here's what it says, quote, each bite during the day is an opportunity to feed that growing baby of yours healthy nutrients. Like, oh, you're kidding. Is that how they get their food? OK, thank you, Heidi. Um, each bite, what will that give them? Quote, better birth weight, improved brain development, lower risk for certain birth defects, dot, 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 jacques. That is, to me, some of the cruelest things ever written in English language to pregnant women, because to me, I get, my, this is, I get my history from historical novels. And so I was reading The Other Boleyn Girl, which was also about the other other Boleyn girl, who was Anne. And um, when Anne is married to Henry VIII, and she has a baby with certain birth defects, what happens to Anne? Right? Right? Henry has her killed, beheaded, because to him, it was her fault for making this kid with a birth defect. What do you think they're saying? 
I think that that's so mean because if you have anything wrong with your kid from they're in the slow class to they have curly hair to they have, uh, you know, anything wrong with them, you start thinking it must have been that time I ate that ho-ho. You know, and I was just trying to keep my other kid from choking on it. You know, it's, it tells you that you are responsible. And if you so much as like take a step off this balance beam of perfection, you have ruined your kid and there's no going back. And then that's, that's before the kid is born, okay? Then once they're out, there are books and books on how to talk to them and read to them. Here, Walter, pretend that you had, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sure this happens in every Cato talk, all right? <laughs> pretend you're three. And you have an animal cracker, and it broke. No, 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 come on, it broke, for God's sake. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> right, now I can't say, I can't do that, obviously. But I can't say, oh, that's too bad. No, you can't say, here's another cookie. You can't even say, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Even though that is literally the way the cookie crumbles. It's a phrase that's worked well for generations. But no, here's what I have to do. Keep crying. OK, OK. Oh, this is what you have to do according to the happiest toddler on the block, and by the way, I like the fact that there's like the happiest toddler and then like yours is like maybe the fourth happiest and theirs is the seventh happiest, but I've got the happiest toddler on the block because I read the book. Okay, happiest toddler on the block says this. Oh, not that. All right, right, right. Sad. 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 Sad, sad, sad. Sad, 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 sad. You have to get down on your knees and respectfully relate before you can say another word. So suddenly, me just wanted to say, I have a whole bag of cookies. Um, I was at Costco. I have a pallet of cookies. You, you, you can't say anything. You can't think that you might have the right answer at the tip of your tongue. You have to consult an expert. And that's not even counting, like, if you show, if, if the kid comes home with a picture. Let's say this was a picture like this. OK, and they've drawn like something, and you can't tell if it's a, you know, a horse or a cockroach, whatever it is. You can't just say, oh, that's a great picture. You're a good artist. Are you kidding? You know what you're doing to your kid if you say you're a good artist? You know this, right? You're stymieing them for life. They're going to be stuck in their cockroach period forever because they've never done anything as good. You've defined them as an artist, and that's wrong. You've told them they're good. That's wrong. But you can't say, oh my god, roach, horse, you know, why don't you spend more than two seconds on this? You can't say that because then, then you're the tiger mom, and you've stunted the kid, and you're gonna, they're going to burn your stuffed animals or vice versa. You just, there's, there's nothing you can say except this. This is what another book told me. So you have to spend a good amount of time looking at the picture. I hope that's enough time. Then you have to say something that shows that you care, but not too much, and that you've noticed, but you aren't making a judgment. So you say, oh, I see you drew the sun green. <laughs> you got a son who draws the sun green. No, the sun green, just like that green shirt you wore for your birthday. OK, so now I've made him the hero of the story. I've related to him respectfully. I've mentioned something. I've completely taken all judgment out of it. And I've said it right. Well, that's turning every conversation with your kids into your Harvard Medical School interview, you know, that you could blow with just one word. That's a great son. No, you can't say that. So the experts are basically telling you that whatever you think you're doing, you're doing wrong, and you need a lot of help because you're an idiot. So that's the expert culture. Um, the final thing that's changed us a lot is what I call the child safety industrial complex, and that's what I have brought with us some examples today. Are you ready? OK? Child safety industrial complex. What are these? These. And Julie, I might have told you these, so you can't tell. Anyone else? 
Leggings, leggings. No, that's so sweet and almost makes sense. No, they are. <laughs> For the, oh yes, because the poor thing is stuck in a seatbelt and nobody has ever been able to stand the chafing of an entire seatbelt against them. No, it's not the safety belt. That, that would have been a, a good idea. No, what are they? Protect against something, but not heat, because they make you hot. <laughs> These are baby knee pads, okay? These are to protect your child when they're crawling because you decided to decorate the nursery with crushed glass, you know? <laughs> but if you go to the website one step ahead, which these aren't, <laughs> these are one crawl ahead, you'll see that one of the moms love these. One step ahead is really great if you want a whipping boy. Um, they, one mom said that these were wonderful because they helped her child make the difficult transition from the carpet to the floor. <laughs> this is great. But um, my friend uh, who wrote A Nation of Wimps, uh, Hera Morano, points out that the bad thing about these is that they actually make it very difficult to crawl, you know, because they're so slippery. You can't get any traction at all. And, and by the way, don't we want it to hurt a little on their knees when they are crawling so that they have some incentive to try to stand up? You want to like, Mom, give me a beer. <laughs> you don't want that. You want, you know, evolution has figured out the whole knee thing and has been doing pretty well for a while. But somehow we're supposed to think this generation just can't take the horrible chafing. Okay, what are these? What are these? Audience, you're, you're looking at them. What? <laughs> these are table toppers, okay? Table toppers are disposable placemats. They are eco-friendly, except for the fact that they exist. Um, <laughs> And they're made by Disney, who would never make anything we didn't need. OK, um, what do they do? Table toppers provide on-the-go protection from germs, dirt, and cleaning chemicals on restaurant and food court tables. Whoa, <laughs> paging Mr. Orwell. These provide protection from germs, dirt, and cleaning chemicals. <laughs> so basically, if you go to the food court, and there's yesterday's taco salad fused to the formica and you have to scrape it off, you know, these will help keep the child from getting some horrible disease. But God forbid some minimum wage worker came in and swabbed the thing with Windex, you know, thank God your child will be safe from the clean countertop that's there before him. So this product and this society is telling you that your child is in danger no matter what. That's how they make money. Child's in danger no matter what. Okay, this is my very favorite item. What is this? What is this? Oh, wait, everybody knows this now. I need some old person to say, that's a robber duck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and he's bald. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ding. Um, so this is, in fact, the baby bathwater temperature duck. And how it works is this. You fill a bath with water. That's your first mistake, right? <laughs> right. Then, then you put the duck inside. You wait a few minutes. Maybe you can praise the kid in the meantime. And then you pull it out. And if the word hot <laughs> appears on the duck, then, then you know that the water is hot. That's how you know, thanks to this duck. Because you couldn't possibly like put your hand in and you pull it out, and there's only like bones left, and there's something swirling around that smells like soup. You know, no, you have to depend on this. Except Walter, I'm gonna. Are you like? Can you read? I mean, I can read without with, like easily. I want you to read this sentence that starts under caution. Adult, adult. Adult should always place hand in bath water to test the temperature before placing baby in top. What? <laughs> 
Doc is actually telling me that I can't even trust it? That I have to put my own hand in? So, so what does this duck exist to do? <laughs> I'll tell you, aside from getting 349 for Babies R Us, I'll tell you, this duck exists to screw with your mind, okay? All this duck is doing, and these pads are doing, and these, these table toppers are doing, is trying to convince you that you don't have the brains or the experience, and your child doesn't have anything from the immune system to the fortitude to make it from one day to the next without a lot of help, a class or a product or something that you have to buy, read, or do. Otherwise, all bets are off. So what's the result? The result is, oh, I got to hurry. The result is this, and I'm going to read it really fast. This is a letter I got. Dear Free Range Kids, I'm 15 right now and get pretty much no freedom. I'm limited to what's inside the house in the backyard. I can't even go as far as the sidewalk. I might be, he puts it in quote, abducted or killed. I used to walk to a bus stop, but my dad said it was too dangerous, so he started driving me there, and eventually he just started driving me to school. Today, after playing video games for two hours or so, I went downstairs and realized the only things I could do there were eat and watch TV. Watching TV, playing video games, and eating junk food is fun and all, but after even just a few days, it gets old. I've been on winter break for half a week. I don't want my kids, if I ever have kids, to live like me at all. So what's the story here? His parents were so afraid of this young man being kidnapped that they kidnapped him. Really, he's living like Rapunzel. He's living in his beautiful gilded cage because his parents have been driven crazy with worry. So the answer came to me when I went to a class um, that was uh, in sixth grade class in Manhattan run by a woman named Joanna Drusen, who started having the kids there who were 11 do a free-range kids project based on the Izzy subway ride. And all they had to do was choose something that they thought they were ready to do that they hadn't done yet because they didn't know why. You know, it just hadn't occurred to them. It's not part of pop culture anymore. And so I go there every year and I read the projects. And in fact, I'll read them next week when I'm back. Um, but the first year, kids said, you know, they, they had to write up a project or make a poster or do a video. And a bunch of kids made eggs. I swear to God, they made an egg. And, and they're always saying things. And I, I can't tell if they're just like trying to please the teacher or they're morons. They say, I thought I was going to burn down the house. Or I was so scared. And I had to approach the flame. I'm like, put a pan on it. <laughs> you know, like really dumb. But, um, but my favorite, favorite one uh, um, is this one, OK? Actually, let me just tell you one more. There was a girl who decided she was going to go knocking on the doors of all the other apartments on uh, the floor of her giant apartment building in Battery Park City, which is outrageously safe downtown. Unless there's a terrorist attack, then it's not safe. But when it's on a normal day, it's totally safe. And she wanted to just knock on the doors and see uh, and tell people who she was and meet them. And her mother said, no, no, you know, thinking like, what about all the predators? And the girl was so smart. She said, mom, what if there's a fire? Don't you want them to know that I'm here? And the mom was like, oh, yeah. OK. <laughs> you know, go meet the neighbors. And so the kid knocked on all the doors, and she met two other kids her age, because she was going to a magnet school. Um, and so she didn't know everybody there. So anyways, that's, that's the whole point of Free Range Kids, is to get people out and connecting and not being so afraid. But my favorite story was this. Girl decided she was going to bake an independence cake. And she made a big poster, how to bake an independence cake. She couldn't quite fit the end. Um, she decided she would go to the store by herself, buy the, buy the ingredients, and come home and make the cake. And she'd never walked to the store, just half a mile away from her house, by herself before. So she, she starts going, and she said, quote, on the way there, everyone looked angry, like they were going to reach out and snatch me. Believe me, getting there was no picnic. OK, so she has internalized all this fear that everybody on the street is about to grab her. 
Um, but then she gets to the store and she's wandering around. She has to find, you know, takes a while the eggs and the butter and the cocoa and the this and that. Finally, she's at the checkout and she's there and a uh, lady behind her says, excuse me, would you mind watching? No. <laughs> I never let people leave. No. Uh, she pays for it. She pays for it with her own money because that was part of the independence ideal. And then she takes her satchels and she's going off and she said, quote, the way home seemed much shorter and more pleasant because I was already used to the walk. Okay, so that's what she got, right? She suddenly gets the kind of freedom and joy that most of us remember from childhood when the world became ours. Instead of, a instead of being overwatched, over-supervised, over-regulated, over-cared for by a society that cares so much for us that they are just completely stifling us. So here's the question. Not the question. Here's my conclusion that I was scrawling with Walter downstairs, which is, to me, a good childhood is a child where you're free to, to ride your bike around the, news, around, the, around the neighborhood or go to the park or the playground or knock on your friend's house without worry that your parents are going to be arrested for negligence. And it's when you can climb a tree because it still has branches and they haven't been deemed overgrown. What is it? Overgrown vegetation. Overgrown vegetation is the natural world, OK? That's the world is overgrown vegetation. Try to start regulating that, and there's nothing left. And that's the whole point. When you try to take out every last ounce of risk in childhood to the point where nothing is safe enough. Nothing is safe enough. You can't do anything. You can't go anywhere. You can't bring a plant in soil to the science fair. So if we want to give some childhood back to kids, some authority back to parents, and some balls, bucky balls maybe, back to America, let's raise some free range kids. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Welcome. Uh, Lenore and I have a bit of a competition going uh, <laughs> because she, uh, at her blog, Free Range Kids, uh, always has the first and the best stories about the craziness of law and regulation uh, in her area. Uh, at my blog, Overlawyered, I try to do the same thing with m much less focus, but she always gets the good stories first, let's face it. And so <laughs> as she outdoes me, I keep trying to predict, uh, you know, every headline seemingly has been taken. The, uh, the dad arrested because there was a drawing of a gun in, in his house. I uh, actually hadn't heard about that one until Okay, yeah, it, but um, uh, every headline seemingly has been taken. But what's coming next? What, what is the one that hasn't happened yet that we will read about next year? And finally, I came up with this example. Hmm. Uh, expert call for Ava's law, under which failure to pre-enroll in a bully registry before engaging in online bullying will become a felony. That sounds great. Uh, now, let's see whether any of the elements of that seem unlikely uh, still. Uh, experts, of course, is the all-important first mm -hmm. word. As we were hearing, you know, we need experts. Who could ever have raised children in the days before experts? Uh, whoever would have thought of finding out uh, how babies or teenagers are best kept safe by like asking people who've already been parents or something <laughs> like that. No, we need the experts. And so we get stories like uh, <clears throat> Overlawyered uh, 2011, Harvard researchers, it's proof right there. Harvard researchers want fat kids taken from their homes. Uh, <clears throat> 
a pair of Harvard scholars writing in the Journal of the American Medical Association, how expert can you get, advocate stripping away the custody rights of parents of super obese children, uh, quote, despite the discomfort posed by state intervention, well, not to you, ma'am, uh, it may sometimes be necessary to protect a child, said Lindsay Murtaugh, a lawyer and researcher at Harvard's School of Public Health. Okay, lawyer and public health researcher. Um, studies co-author says taking away people's children ideally will support not just the child, but the whole family. Uh, and the, um, the JAMA piece includes uh, the following sentence too. Even relatively mild parenting deficiencies, such as having excessive junk food in the home, or failing to model a physically active lifestyle, may contribute to a child's weight problem, unquote. And this reminded someone of the old William F. Buckley Jr. quote, I'd rather be governed by the first 2,000 names in the Boston Telephone Directory than by the Harvard faculty. Um, <laughs> they, well, Ava's law, you, you knew, of course, that the proposal would be named after uh, a child because that's the fairest and the most objective way to decide on proposed legislation is to broadcast that if we don't vote for it, we don't want to honor the memory of a dead child. That's the fair way of, of setting up a legal proposal. Um, it has to be a registry, of course, because we know that paperwork keeps us safe. It's not, it's not the actual reference in the outside world. It's the paperwork that makes us feel reassured. And it's pre-enrollment, because what kind of person are you to want to wait until the bullying has already taken place? Then there's a victim already. Perfect. <clears throat> Perfect. And it's felony. Of course it's felony, because it's by being super punitive that we show we care. <laughs> the, it's by criminalizing more uh, types of parents and more types of other kids that we show uh, that uh, we're benevolent toward families. Well, I wish I could say that these were only expert uh, policies, but the fact is they're awfully popular. Uh, and every time I write about it for a general audience, I realize a couple weeks ago, I wrote about the proposal by a state senator in New York, um, Senator Diaz, for compulsory parenting workshops oh, right. uh, in New York. The idea would be that before your child could advance to the seventh grade in New York schools, you would have to take at least four uh, parenting workshops. Um, I, now, it's not clear to me why holding the child back and not letting them on to seventh grade would improve the situation if, if the parents had, had refused to. But so I wrote about this, and naively, I thought that everyone would agree that this was an obviously mad idea, uh, but in fact, in publications of the left, right, and center, there were a lot of commenters who believed that all those other parents should be sent to mandatory <laughs> workshops. They never seemed to think that they needed to themselves, but it was surprisingly popular. And the popularity ties in with the little gimmicks that Lenore found online and that you can find in these stores like Bye Bye Baby. Um, they are... <clears throat> Parents of newborns are marketers' absolute dreams. They will buy anything. They will throw money away, you know, $2,000 on childproofing their one-story home. Um, <laughs> and they are the perfect marks for uh, marketing because of the fear and the confusion and the guilt and the sentimentality and the sense that everyone else is doing it. And all of that works for policy, too. All of that works for legal change, too. All those techniques are used because it shows we care. It shows we care to keep criminalizing more things. And I have to throw in the personal anecdotes at this point because 
much of the fun of uh, Lenora's blog for we of an older generation is to imagine our parents uh, being incarcerated. They're gone now. But uh, to imagine our parents being incarcerated for the things that, of course, they routinely did, uh, like letting us wait in the car for a few minutes while they dropped uh, coins in the Salvation Army kettle, to quote mm -hmm. one of the stories. Um, at age nine or 10, I can't quite remember which, uh, I was both taking public buses by myself and I was walking two miles to my mother's office when she couldn't conveniently pick me up and we lived in downtown Detroit. <laughs> That's what happened when I was nine or 10 years old and it wasn't that unusual. Well, to show we care, we give CPS, Child Protective Services, more and more powers to take uh, kids out of their parents' custody. To show we care, we encourage school districts to continually uh, <clears throat> tighten the thumb screws. To show we care, we alter custody and family law to reward the helicopter parents, mm -hmm. as a law review article very well demonstrated. And to show we care, we put more and more product warnings on and right. um, do things like the Consumer Product Safety Improvement Act, uh, the craziest bill of the, the last couple of administrations, uh, to provide for testing of every children's product, whether or not it probably has anything poisonous in it. And up to because age 12, because the, children at age 12 are doing exactly the it, same thing with their Because their what, what can it hurt to take someone who is producing 300 uh, dolls dresses a year and tell her that she has to spend $10,000 on testing? Well, so, uh, the, so we wind up with uh, the equivalent of helicopter parenting that I call helicopter governance. That's great. And, you may think this is a mere metaphor, but let me end with, or almost end with, a story from Australia, also reported on Overlord um, in Queensland. And this isn't even the wussy part of Australia. This, this is like the Texas of Australia. In Queensland, they have regulations on back par, uh, par, uh, backyard pools. Now, you can see the logic. Backyard pools actually are one of the most important injury risks for kids. But uh, these are pretty stringent rules on backyard pools, such as not only do you have to have the fence, of course you have to have the fence, but you have to clear any trees near the pool fences so that stranger kids do not climb up <laughs> on the trees, uh, hop over across your fence, and drown themselves in your pool. You have to cut down the trees. But my favorite part of the story was that uh, authorities intend to use spy satellite photos to find out who is out of compliance. I'm not making it up. It is getting into real helicopter governance. Well, as they have uh, done this to kids, they have also been infantilizing adults too. They have also introduced the idea that the government knows best how to run uh, adults' lives. And if you want to hear more about that, come back to all the other Cato Institute events. Um, <laughs> Now it's your turn. Uh, we've reached the question period. Uh, could I ask you to raise your hands, wait for one of the uh, kindly people to bring a microphone to you. When you get the microphone, uh, explain if you will, uh, you know, if you're with an organization or, or whatever. Um, and uh, do I see any? Yes. In fifth row. We don't want you to walk to the mic because you could trip. <laughs> Thank you for your worries. <laughs> uh, my name is PG. I'm an intern here at the Cato Institute. And I was wondering, uh, obviously you believe that we're being too safe, but how safe is actually too safe? My sister-in-law lives in East Helmers, New York. and Oh, I live right there. That's my next town over. I, I live in Jackson Heights. Go on. And I've never really inspected the neighborhood, but she believes it to be unsafe for her daughter because apparently there would be drug dealers around. So how can you actually determine when 
I, I don't know if paranoia would be the right term, but a little paranoia would be actually healthy for the, ch for the child. Um, well, all I would say is that it's really up to her. That's one of the things that Walter and I are talking about. It's not up to the government to say, if I think it's safe enough for my kid to walk to school, and I've told her, don't talk to drug dealers, um, you know, come straight home, you know, I don't need any heroin today, we've got plenty in the cabinet. Um, then it should be up to the parent and not to somebody saying, like, I don't think your child should walk outside because what, what, what has happened and what Walter and I have been um, finding is that around the country when parents do let their kids do something that they do feel is safe. Your, your wife, your, your, your sister-in-law doesn't feel it's safe, she doesn't have to do it. But if I feel like it's safe for my kid to play in the park and there are a lot of, a lot of other kids there and there are a lot of other parents there, I don't want to be told that I have, somebody else thinks it's so dangerous that I'm being arrested. Um, you know, it's always been up to the parents. It's weird when it's no longer up to the parents. There are, have always been a lot of very real dangers, especially, of course, in big cities, especially if you are in a neighborhood with crime and drugs. But when people uh, tell their kids to stay inside, you lose what Jane Jacobs in the classic book on all of this describes as the eyes on the street, uh, which is uh, it, compare the parks in New York uh, in the bad old days with the parks now, precisely because they are full of uh, kids running around and uh, people being unafraid. There, uh, anyone who tries to commit a crime is much less likely to get away with it than back when everyone was so fearful that the parks were resigned to the criminals. Wait, and can I just say two other quick things? That's so totally right. I wish I'd said that. Um, but also, when I spoke to the, um, the guy who's the head of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which is the group that put the um, pictures of missing kids on the milk cartons and forgot to tell us that 99.9% .9 of them were runaways or taken in custodial disputes, so it felt like everybody was being snatched off the street by strangers. Um, he said that stranger danger uh, is something that they're trying to take out of the vocabulary of America because it gets our focus on the wrong thing, and that the safest kids are the self-confidence kids and the, the, they get the confidence by getting street smarts, and they get the street smarts by going out to the street. I don't have any idea how old this, this child that we're talking about is, and if it's five or six, that's different from when they're 10 or 11. Um, but one way to keep kids safer is to, instead of trying to child-proof the whole world, which you can't, I, I call it world-proofing your child. Getting them out there, they get, they get the, the confidence, they get the knowledge um, of a little bit more how to be safe. And, and by the way, crime is down since probably when your sister-in-law was a kid. It's, it's down to the level it was before color television. <clears throat> yes. Don't move a muscle. <laughs> Stand up slowly. <laughs> Wait till the mic has come to a complete stop. <laughs> I did all those things. Thank you for being concerned for my safety. Hi, uh, my name's Dave Price. I'm a educational consultant. And, and first of all, I'd like to disagree with everything you said, but I can't because it's all true. I was like, uh, <gasps> and thank you for paying me for that. No. Um, but really? one, one area that I'd be interested in hearing both of you talk about, I mean, we see it all the time is um, it's not only the parents and the young children, but you're saying that teenagers are very much affected by this. And from being protected, they really can't resolve problems. They talk all about conflict. And the real reason is they never play. A teacher a long time ago said, and he did this 25 years ago. I wish I were half this bright. He said, watch what's going to happen when we all go to organize sports with young people. He said, you know, growing up, you always say, oh, when you grew up, you know, but he made a really interesting point. Somebody brought the bat, somebody brought the ball. You had the game, the fight broke out over whether you're safe or out. You had to have conflict resolution. 
Now, with no one being in, you know, Rapunzel or whomever in their castle, you don't have that. Uh, that's one thing. The second thing is also an observation or a comment in schools that I think sometimes is missed. Um, teachers no longer can do their job, which is try to be kind to kids because any type of kindness I covered in New Jersey, that was part of my job doing quasi-legal work. And I could regale you for hours, I'm not going to do that, with tales that are just so absurd of a teacher touch being transformed into some kind of sexual orgy. So I think it's, it's a lot of problems in schools. But just, I guess, to, to wrap up and ask the question, what happens to these kids? They're kids now, but they're going to be adults. Do you see it reverting? Do you see it getting worse? What's your projection? Um, I'll just say, I'll, yeah, go ahead. Um, well, first of all, I think that everybody ends up pretty much okay, I mean, which totally undercuts my entire argument. Um, you know, in the end, I mean, they're not, they're not all going to be, you know, emotional social cripples just because we've tried to emotionally and socially cripple them. Um, but uh, there is a phrase on campus now that is becoming popular among the administrators, especially those working in health services, which is that um, college students as teacups, um, which is that they're, they're beautiful and they look great in the break front, but they're fragile. And they come to school and they're breakable because they haven't had any experience with failure, disappointment, you know, doing anything on their own. That being said, I think that most of them are going to still be okay because I hate getting down on especially parents like, oh, you've helicoptered them and now you've ruined them. Ha, ha, ha. You were trying to be good and you were bad because I feel that that's just more onus on the parents and they can't do anything right. Um, but I totally agree with your point about play. And um, I would really recommend Peter Gray's book, Free to Learn, which I just read, which uh, I read a book, <laughs> so you should too. Um, but it talks about, you know, all the stuff that you do get in free play that um, is completely taken out of um, uh, the experience when the parents or an adult has organized everything and basically you're just there, you think, to get a skill, but they forget that there's all the other skills that you talked about, negotiation, compromise, creativity, that have been taken out, but you're better at swinging. Big deal. Um, let me echo Lenora's point about how uh, they're basically going to be okay. I think what happens is that college is called on to do some of the socializing that used to be done in high school, and graduate school is called on to do some of the socializing that used to be done in college. And people will begin having midlife crises at 75. You know, it will all stretch forward. But the uh, but people will generally come out okay. I also would not underestimate the degree to which uh, online action allows kids to learn some of the same skills of coordination and leadership, uh, not under the nose, uh, since who wants a parent around when you're doing online? Yeah, and, and who wants to play Halo 3? Um, uh, okay. This, the lady. Lady in the hat. And they're leaving in droves. Goodbye, Julie Gunley. That's what I get. I call her out, and off she goes. <laughs> Bye. My name is Jane Fetter, and my husband and I just come over for the lectures at Cato. We live in Baltimore. You said to remind you about the crazy lady in Texas? Oh, just one more t bit of regulation. The other fear is that any... Um, adult-child interaction is a prelude to pedophilia, <laughs> um, to the point where we see every interaction as suspicious and needing regulation. And so one lady in Texas went to go to her, pre her kindergartner's um, Christmas party, and when she got to the school, they looked and they said, oh, you know, you're not, your background check is not here. And she said, oh, I did it. It just hasn't come back yet. And they said, no, I'm sorry, you cannot go to the preschool, to the to kindergarten Christmas party. And she begged and she pleaded and they got the parent, the, the teacher in there and finally a compromise was reached for this one time, which is that she could go to the party so long as she stood in the back of the room and did not interact with any of the children. 
So to me, that's, you know, it's for the safety of the children. We're making sure they're not only not in contact with these kids. I mean, what could happen in, in, a, in the course of a half-hour party in a kindergarten? Well, maybe they'd start grooming them, and then this would become a friend of the family, and then the next thing you know, it'd be, you know, satanic rites or something. It's, it's, there's something wrong when we go from what I call worst first thinking, thinking of the worst case scenario first, the very worst, that this woman is a pedophile who has had a child so that the child would eventually go into kindergarten, so eventually she would get other children that she could prey upon. When you start thinking like that, you're insane, and a lot of the regulations reflect that insanity because it's, it's considered just for, you know, just safe enough, and we're thinking of the worst case first because that's the best thing for all children. It's not. Time for a couple more questions. Yes, uh, ma'am, uh, with the scarf. You know, the scarf is sort of a choking hazard. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I'm warmer than I would be without. Uh, my name is Tina Drake Zimmerman, and I love your book. Um, I do really believe that you're hitting it, that um, media is driving a lot of this. I think... The media may be driving more of the regulation than the regulation driving TV. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't think regulation drives tea it. at yeah. the ten o'clock, you know, Fox News hour or whatever. Um, and on the way over in the cab, I'm watching a screen because, of course, they have to keep me entertained for the ten minutes over. Here. Look out that window. And <laughs> NBC Four top headlines: two-year-old dies choking on a blind cord. Mm. Um, so I. I'd like to know what you would prescribe all of us who would like people to, to stop being crazy about this kind of stuff. Very sad that a two-year-old dies, but I'm, it's top news. Right, and it's possible and, it wasn't even where it's top news. It's possible it happened in Ohio right, you know, or right. Serbia. Or someplace um, else, but it right. is what grabs people's it attention what apparently. People, um, so what, what do we do? How do we get 24-hour news cycle, all of the you know, yeah. blogs and, and web information, how do we... How do you fight the, the yeah, tsunami of bad it? news coming at us and try to stay sane? Um, one thing is obviously to turn off the news if you can. In your cab, there actually is that little off thing. Um, but it is hard because even if you turn it off, everybody else comes to school and says, did you see that kid just died? Um, the one thing that I found, two things I found that actually work in changing society. One is asking people to remember um, their happiest moment as kids, or the thing that made them most proud. And um, when they think back on that, realistically, um, nobody says, oh, my mom was next to me and she was playing a game with me. Or my mom was next to me and she was holding my hand. It's always something that they did on their own that they just loved doing. So first of all, you remind them that that wasn't crazy of their parent to let them have that formative, wonderful experience. And then I actually did a whole TV show where I was like the super nanny, except I went around to overprotective families and I took the kids away. And if you know of a television network that needs a show, I have a show for you. But um, the thing is that the families were extremely overprotective. But when I took the kids away and like had them go play in the forest for an hour or have a lemonade stand down the block where the mom couldn't see them or you know, even go to the bathroom by themselves at the mall, whatever it was, when the kid came home, and the bathroom example is bad because they don't come home extremely ecstatic about that. But, um, but when they came home and it's like, oh, mom, we just had a lemonade stand. It was so fun. And I sold, you know, we sold so much. and We made $23. Or, we, you know, I climbed a tree and it was so great. When the parents see the kid being excited and happy, the parent gets, the, 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 it takes, it's like a vacuum. The fear and the dread go out and the pride and joy take their place. So if there's any way that you could ever do what I did on the show, which is 
somehow get the kids away from the parent, will, you know, willingly. Um, the parents have to will, be willing. I'm sure the kids are very willing. Um, when they come back um, happy and not harmed, it, it replaces the fear. That's all I can say. We have time for one more question. Um, yes, in the front. Aha, to the guy in the back. Hi, um, my name is Kat Murthy. I really enjoyed your presentation. Thank you. I work here at the Cato Institute. Um, uh, now, I have a question for you that comes from a slightly different perspective on this, I suppose. Um, I think a lot of young people have a genuine fear of having children because they oh. think that it um, increases the <laughs> likelihood that they would, it increases their own personal likelihood of uh, getting arrested, being involved with the criminal justice system. Could you speak to that at all? I haven't actually heard that. Um, you know, that should be like reason number 392 not to have kids. Um, and, and I can give you 391. Um, no, uh, I hadn't heard that, but um, I know that my parents waited eight years back in the 50s when nobody was waiting um, to have kids because they were afraid that we would all be nuked, um, you know, in the Cold War. And they're really happy they had kids. So um, I think, you know, remind the people that parents have always been afraid of catastrophes, looming, looming disasters, and um, regular, regulators, I guess. Um, and um, generally, people are glad. I mean, if, if they want to have kids and that's the only thing stopping them, they shouldn't you know, tell them to forget it. Let, let me throw in one anecdote, which is uh, around the country, not so much in New York or Washington, but out west, uh, a lot of uh, parents uh, have seen their kids seized from them because, uh, because the parents use pot. And uh, when... Uh, CPS coming in and uh, putting your kids into foster care is a possible uh, consequence of that. Uh, is it unreasonable if the people Kat is talking about uh, are marijuana users? Is that such an unreasonable fear to delay parenthood? I'm, I'm not sure. I would disagree. But I guess you have to decide if you want the pot more than the kids. Well, no, I'd, I wouldn't be using it in the first place. Yeah. But the <laughs> you bet. But the um, and it, what a, a terribly downbeat note to close on. So uh, let's instead think of that happiest moment of achievement as kids. Um, uh, before we thank our uh, speaker, let me again say. Uh, you'll be filing out here. You will, each and every one of you, be buying her book and getting her to sign it. Uh, <laughs> That's and regulation we believe in. Your, <laughs> your, your, your reward will be a delicious lunch upstairs, uh, up the circular staircase. Please join me in thanking our guest, Lenore Skenazy. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Walter. You're welcome. Thanks for coming.